you have to have that learning mindset and you have to cultivate that throughout the company that you are open to learning from somebody and acknowledging that tip hey anybody can be right and you can always be wrong welcome to the authentically successful show i'm carol schultz founder and ceo of vertical elevation a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm we partner with founders and ceos to create talent centric organizations either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. With me today is Sudhir Bojwani co-founder and CEO of Oro Labs, a procurement startup that makes procurement incredibly easy and efficient for all employees. And we're going to talk a lot about that. So dear, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me today. So as you and I both know, and, and certainly many of our listeners may know, there's a lot of companies out there doing, you know, supply chain, procurement, this type of thing. What's the biggest problem you're actually solving that makes you different from anybody else out there? Uh, firstly, th- thanks again for having me. Uh, the biggest difference is I spent eight and a half years at SAP Ariba. And the problem I feel is after all the procurement tech ad- advantages in procurement tech, people still find awfully difficult to know what to do and when to do in procurement. We all are used to buying in our daily life. But as soon as we go to work, it becomes complex. We've been saying the same. I've been saying this for nine years, to be fair. Not, I, I didn't say a word so far that's different. But I want to solve this problem. This problem is an unsolved problem. Business users struggle. And you'll you'll still continue to hear the same pain. They all do procurement is done off uh, offline and they just use the current procurement tool to simply record the transaction. I don't want that. We want to be the decision-making tool. We want to be a tool that helps business users first and for, for, foremost make better decisions. Second, it also helps companies make better decisions. I think those two things are not mutually exclusive. They can become, they can be delivered together. And that's the main mission we are on. And obviously we'll peel the onion on it, how we intend to do it differently than compared to everybody else. Well, I would assert that your investors feel the same way because, you know, you founded the company not quite three years ago. It'll be three years in December. Um, You took your series A last year in March of 2022. And that was about $25 million, which is a massive uh, amount of capital for early on, and, and it was led by Norwest Venture Partners and B Capital Group. What was it that they, as the two lead investors, and I know you've got some minor investors as well, saw that said, you know what, we need to cough up some money here? <laughs> <laughs> so our pitch to our investors was very simple, was look at the CRM space. Look at how advantage, how far advanced that space is. In CRM space today, almost every company uses a bunch of tools and they are very comfortable with replacing tools at a pretty rapid pace without massive disruption. That cannot be said on the procurement side. Procurement side is not so agile. People get stuck on a few tools. And so the pitch to our investors was, what if we can bring CRM level agility into the procurement world? That also gives you one other additional thing, which is visibility. Visibility is a very, very big thing. So that's how we pitch them. Hey, we're going to make procurement as good as CRM is. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very high level pitch, pitch yeah. we made to the investors. Mm-hmm. And our background makes us highly qualified mm-hmm. to do this. What is it about procurement that it's not agile? There's a one other additional fact we should also consider before answering that question. 
the fact is crm always gets funded before procurement just from a pure funding just from a pure funding perspective by virtue of which crm tools have been ahead in the game like if you look at what has happened in the salesforce side of the world how this has turned into a massive ecosystem whereas in this side of the world people have tried to build ecosystem like ariba kupa we tried all those things right. ecosystems but in a very small ways but still we are discussing should it be a sweet vendor should it be best of breed all those things we are discussing i believe i believe in best of breed i fundamentally believe best of breed there are tools that can handle direct material sourcing much much better than they can do indirect marketing uh, sourcing likewise there are tools that can uh, that can handle optimizations in a better way tools that can handle various things in a various way what what is different about why procurement is so complex today is while there is a bunch of tools there's nothing that brings them all together and the data is all disintegrated mm. into uh, tens of systems with no visibility into data i'll ask a simple question to any user do you know what you're doing with a supplier supplier you are spending millions of dollars with that's right and the answer typically ends up being let's ask the sales guy and that probably guy <laughs> knows better what right. my company is doing with them than i know what i'm doing with them i mean they're the ones selling into it and asking all those hard questions right oh funny enough they're tracking it in their salesforce or crm mm-hmm. system of their choice yeah. that's why they know they, they know the answer much better than procurement people can answer the question where am i spending my 5 million dollars they cannot answer that question got it i love that so you got your start as a software engineer um along the way as you mentioned um but I'll go into it a little bit deeper you uh, joined Ariba and um spent about 2 years with them prior to the acquisition by SAP and then subsequently stayed on for about another 7 years after that um in some different roles i know that you were um uh, uh chief product officer lead engineering product management and operations so you've got a lot of that um and so on but we, In during that time I also know you um founded three other companies <laughs> like in in between those times. So tell me a little bit about your journey from being a software engineer and you know the startups prior to Ariba why they were not I mean I'm going to assume they weren't successful because they both you know that both lasted not very long maybe a year and a half or so. Um and then another one after Ariba I believe. or after SAP mm-hmm. um that also did not did not last so I'd love to hear that story of your journey and then finally like to hear <laughs> where we are today hmm. a great question uh I'll start my journey I'm a software engineer by profession yep. I still love writing code uh, I think uh something that uh, I really really thoroughly enjoy and I still while obviously software engineering is a form of engineering I still believe there's a lot of art in it too I still think you can see beautiful code and get inspired and it's very inspirational to see good code and there is a good code and there is lots of not so good code I would say that 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 world still exists so my journey started as software engineer the very first startup I did was actually much much earlier uh, this was when I was still in Atlanta I was doing a project with Delta Airlines as I was I joined them as a senior engineer I was doing I was just working as an engineer a friend of mine had a great idea now it sounds funny in 19 now we're talking 2023 but let's go back in time and talk about 1997 it it, it won't sound as funny in 1997 you could not do comparison shopping you couldn't figure out different websites what the price of a given item is so the very first startup i never 
We never actually fully formed the company as such, but I started working on a framework which will allow us to give an uh, ISBN of a book. I can tell you how much Amazon is selling for, how much everybody else is selling right. for. That was the first technology I started. And that was, why was, I, why was I attracted towards it? To me, it was not a business problem. It was more of a technology problem at that, at that time. So my journey, because I was still a young and budding software engineer, let's call it. <laughs> and so I was focusing on, hey, this is pretty awesome. At that time, parsing other people's website. Uh, now we call it RPA. At the time, we used to just parse it and stuff like that and figure out what the price is and normalize the data. was an amazing problem. And, but we never really turned it around, turned it into something meaningful because I was like, I was thinking of it as a technical problem. But my first, uh, and then I went and joined some other startups where I was not the founder, I was just an engineer. I joined as an engineer and I saw how companies, uh, I saw how companies which are very well funded also fail actually, uh, unfortunately. Good ideas, but failed startups I worked in, unfortunately. I'm not going to name those companies right now it's not it's not polite but uh, but at the same time i saw why companies fail how companies can mismanage their money and invest in the wrong places and i ended up joining in, and then finally i had my first idea was really in i would say 2006 time frame uh, when i started a company called Wildlogic. and that fun, that that company we did get funded we did get some angel funding and we actually got to 32 customers too but then that company got that didn't work out it was in the mobile advertising space and i was doing some cool technology in that space too and 2009 happened unfortunately 2008 9 happened to that company we were very close to some pretty major deals and i, I can tell you 2008 killed a lot of startups and we were just unfortunately one of them well of course it did yeah right uh, we were one of them so and then eventually i ended mm-hmm. up at, i spent two and a half three years at wells fargo i was the early part of the wells fargo mobile team which will which will mm-hmm. build, we build the mobile application like the first uh, mobile right. application and we did SMS banking at that time. Mm-hmm. SMS was big at that time. Uh, so we built all those mm-hmm. technologies. And finally, 2010, I joined Ariba, uh, which right, was an Ariba. amazing, mm-hmm. amazing journey. Uh, I spent almost nine years. It's a great later. company. Oh, Ariba was a great. I joined as a, I was about to join a different company. I was about to start, uh, join a different company until I met a friend of mine, met a friend of mine who was already at Ariba. And then I said, hey, why don't you consider Ariba? And then I went, went and met the CTO of Ariba at that time. Very, very smart guy. And then I understood what Ariba was. This amazing procurement, I never understood what procurement was until 2010, mm-hmm. to be fair. I understood this is a two-sided business where lots of people are getting impacted, actually. It impacts every single employee in a company. It impacts millions of suppliers globally. This problem of supply chain procurement is an amazing problem. And that's the reason I've stayed eight and a half years at SAP plus Ariba combination. I've never stayed at that any company for that long because I'm fascinated with this problem definition. And hence the Oro as well. And in between, I'll talk about SAP Ariba and Oro, what I did. Um, There I tried to do, and after Ariba, I just wanted to focus on not on procurement. My goal was not to do procurement for a little bit, kind of clear my head a little bit. You just don't want to just go and do Ariba again, and then I'll end up just building slightly better Ariba. That was not the goal. And my goal was to really clear my head. And so we did start a company. We didn't raise money as such. We put our own money into, I put my own money into the company, but we built a very, very good team. That's where I learned a lot about natural language processing, whatever we were doing. It, as it turns out, now now it is coming out so handy. I spent all my time on NLP. And finally, we decided to jump back into uh, Oro because uh, after that, I had one specific thought that triggered me to say, okay, now is the time to get back into procurement. I have clarity on why people dislike procurement and they dislike procurement uh, tools so much. Mm-hmm. I had some clarity on that. And here we are. And I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. You know, I, I, I worked with Ariba back in the day when they were still very, you know, when they were still a startup. And in 2010, when you joined them, how, how large were they? Do you remember like how many employees and revenues? 
Yeah, around 1500 <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not going to say anything that anybody will disagree to be fair. And I'll say what I, how I feel. I think when we were at Ariba, the mission was very clear. Procurement was the mission. When you become part of a bigger company called SAP, the mission is finance. SAP is fundamentally a finance application. Let's be clear about it. It's an ERP, of course, but finance is the core part of it. So procurement becomes like an add-on. It becomes like an add-on. And that fundamental difference pulls you in all kinds of directions. Then, so that's the that's the first thing you you start seeing that hey, is procurement really core? You start questioning, making even though it should be, of course, it should be core. But you start questioning it. I'm not saying I'm right, but you start questioning. Just going from a culture where everybody only cares for one and only one thing to a culture where people care for probably 25 things. So that's a big big difference. Then, I think the size does make a difference. Like. Like SAP also went through multiple transitions, to be honest. When we joined SAP, uh, they said, okay, sales should go into sales, product should go into product, marketing in marketing. So they split the Ariba into multiple teams, essentially, which is okay. And then a lot of people leave in the, along the way. So a lot of talent left along the way, unfortunately. Just normal process. That's the normal process for any company. It's nothing specific to SAP. That's what happened in Ariba. But year and a half or two years into it, two and, I would say more like two, two years into it, SAP also realized maybe there is some value in trying to, we, used to, we started calling it trying to put Humpty Dumpty together. Uh, so we tried to put the Humpty Dumpty together. What, me, what it means is bring the salespeople marketing R&D for Ariba back into one vertical business unit, have, have a president of the business unit. And that was Alex Asberger, my boss. And he ended up being the president. I think that, so it, Ariba, SAP also went through many transitions. So the first biggest thing you suddenly start feeling is you're not as important as you thought you were. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Did, did, I, I, I'm always, I'm forever concerned with uh, large companies, well, any company buying up another company and not doing that, you know, bringing the new company aboard in a way that I would recommend that they do it, right? So I'm curious, were you, I mean, was Ariba at that time kind of just being operated as, you know, a wholly owned subsidiary, if you want to call it that? You were still, you know, you had a new, you had a new owner, but you were still, you know, operating business as usual or... Did they, did they do anything to say, no, we've, we, you know, it's in, in the next 12 months or six months or whatever that is, we're going to suck them into our, into our company. And, you know, let's make sure that everybody's a cultural fit. And we, you know, we, you know, we, we handle any challenges, questions, whatever that might be. I mean, every company, to be honest with you, big companies go through this. I mean, if you ask Salesforce and Tableau, if you ask them, well, folks right, at Tableau. and this is one of my biggest complaints about how companies acquire and integrate other companies. Yeah, I think there is no good answer to this. And I believe every company tries different, uh, different, uh, different approaches. They will try to say, OK, let's merge everything together. Let's behave like one company. Then they say, OK, this works. Maybe maybe it doesn't work. Then they say, okay, let's split them again. Let's run as run them as independent business unit. And I don't believe companies stay in any one course forever. 
but like if you look at workday for example it's a known example workday really really believe in one building turn it into one company they really believe in almost one technology stack now i don't know how far they go i i never worked at workday but they really they are known to believe in one one technology stack and everything like that and every company has the same problem i'm not picking workday to be frank to be fair uh, it's every company has to go through that and i don't think there is a good or a bad answer that's my honest opinion i've i've seen both at a at sap i was independent i was merged as one business unit there are pros and cons both ways and that's why people keep uh, companies keep shifting uh, yeah. in approaches over a period of time yeah that's interesting i you know I, I i and you're right there are different approaches but i i sometimes don't feel that the company really goes to the company they're acquiring and say you know what what do you need from us right to make this transition better for you did SAP do that? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> I don't I don't need to know the answer to that to know the answer to that, right? Um, <laughs> but I can tell you. As Bill Maher says, I, I don't I don't what does he say on his show? He says, uh um I, I can't I, I I can't something like I can't I can't tell you if this is true, but I know it is, right? <laughs> so Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So so tell me a little bit about the competitive nature of your business, Oro Labs. Do you have a, is there a competitive landscape there? And if so, what, what does it look like? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at just the investment that has gone into last two, three years into the procurement tech, the new startups is incredible. The every, almost every venture capitalist wants to have at least a procurement investment. In their portfolio, And, yeah. and it's in their portfolio and mm-hmm. it's very, very clear. So. I think what's bit getting clearer, I think, is uh, what we are calling a new um, uh, category. It's not fully defined yet, but its de- start definition is starting to become clear. Is this new layer? I call it a reverse platform. You can call it a reverse platform, which is hey, companies are going to have many many tools in procurement tech. It's just reality. Can th- can there be a layer? We call it a procurement orchestration layer that brings it all together so that business users have great experience. And more interestingly and importantly, companies have the agility and the controls they need to deliver the numbers that they need to deliver. And can both of those things be achieved together? This new platform, new category, pro- procurement orchestration layer is starting to form. And there are many other companies that are funded in this area. I don't want to give them so much credit since they are my competitors. But yeah, there's a, there are like at least seven or eight different companies exactly trying to do what we do. Uh, everybody has a different approach slightly, but there are seven mm-hmm. or eight competitors for sure. Right. So we'll see how that uh, comes out in the wash. Um, what would you say, would you say that that's, or, or what would you say are the biggest, you know, is the biggest challenge or the biggest challenges that you're facing in this industry right now? <laughs> I think first the problem definition, right? That mm. educating the market that, hey, uh, I think more market is getting there almost now that best of breed is here to stay. Mm-hmm. That, that, adopt, uh, that whole idea that the sweet vendors, while there are sweet vendors like I was a sweet vendor. I, I worked at Ariba, so I would have thought, thought of myself as sweet vendor. We give you everything from source to pay, quote unquote. Uh, we give you everything that you will need ever. Did you say sweet vendor? S U I T E? Yeah. Sweet yeah. products. Okay. Just want to make sure. Yep. Yeah, sweet vendor. So essentially, what that means is I give you all the functionality that you will need to run your procurement, right. uh, everything from one vendor. And the reality is, even those vendors, those modules, quote unquote, but that uh, form the suite they actually have been 
purchased through various, they have, they have become part of those companies through acquisitions. It's not like everything is homegrown. Now, there's some companies trying to do homegrown thing, but reality is for most part, it is kind of uh, acquisition-oriented approach where they've acquired a bunch of modules and assembled it together to form a suite. So from a reality is even the suite vendors, they behave like modules actually in reality. So the reason I give this, the, this is a preface to what I, what I the, to your question. The question really is what are the challenges we face, right? The first challenge I think that uh, the companies are still facing is how do I deliver user experience and how do I bring agility into my organization? That realization that agility is quite important and I will have to pay for that agility. I won't say thanks to what happened in the last few years. Obviously, we all have lived that life. So nobody will say, I want to live it again. I mean, we have to accept the reality sometimes and improve based on that, what happened in the regulatory environment, what happened with COVID and all those things. That shed a very important light to uh, management in general that, hey, we do need to invest heavily in our supply chain and procurement start uh, in our procurement technology. And so if you'd asked me this question three years back, I would have said, Investment is the number one challenge that procurement teams face, face actually. They are always under underfunded projects. And then people wonder why uh, everything is like so chaotic. Um, but now people are starting to see funding in this area. Now the realization, next realization is going to be, how do you use the money to truly get into this agility? And the biggest challenge I feel now people have to realize and procurement team will have to realize user experience is really, really, really important. It's a thing. If business users don't accept the product mm -hmm. or the tool that you're pushing them, they will never, they will continue to do things outside the box, outside the tool. And you will be simply used, these tools will simply be used as a bookkeeping software. If that's what we're looking for, that's what you'll get. And I think that realization that user experience, business users are actually smarter than we give them credit. Business users know what procurement means. People, people are used to buying, so they know what it means. Can we be helping business users to do their job better, faster, and deliver more value to the business? I think that's kind of where I see it as uh, realization. Got it. So tell me a little bit about what your sales cycle looks like. Who are you calling into? How long is it taking? What's your average deal size? Um, and how you are, what you're doing to find prospects, inbound, outbound. So Oro focuses on large enterprise customers and upper mid-market customers, what we call, which is like companies with revenue of certain number. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't try to go into SMB space because that's, we're not geared for that. Okay, so you're and for the enterprise. A, you, yep. We are, we are okay. for the enterprise. Mm -hmm. So uh, we definitely go elephant hunting as well. So that sales cycle looks like nine to 12 months, okay. uh, yep. roughly speaking. And that's completely account-based marketing. There's no uh, no other ways. You have to do account-based marketing on that. And then upper mid-market is your classic. Uh, this is where you hopefully should see, see enough volume where you can really, uh, this is where you need to do your outbound, inbound, all those things have to be there uh, on that side. So we have our own SDR team. Uh, so we are doing outbound, but we are also starting to form partners because I believe, we fundamentally believe inbound is quite important uh, in that space, especially. And uh, actually, inbound is always important. So from inbound, inbound perspective, we are starting to form partnerships uh, with company, uh, with uh, uh, with. Uh, with good complementary players where they can actually hopefully sell our product or bring us into deals. So we are also looking into, that's still in early stages of experimentation, but we are starting to see some positive results on that front too. So so we're trying to use everything, ABM, outbound, as well right. as inbound, as well as partnerships with, uh, to solve this problem. So, so are, are these other companies bringing you into their deals or are they acting as a VAR? We are not, we are pretty young to 
to have a war as such quite yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we get to a point where we, where there are value-added resellers, will be fantastic. Mm-hmm. We're not there yet, to be honest. We are right now still in early stages mm-hmm. of this partnership sure. experimentation to see mm-hmm. where do we... And also being transparent, we are only a two-and-a-half-year-old company. Yes. So we just started experimenting. Our go-to-markets motion really started in Q4 of last year, mm-hmm. and Q4 was, oh my God, that was a tough, tough quarter. Q4 of 2022, that was a tough quarter, I tell you that. Yeah. But Q1 and Q2 is looking very different. Mm-hmm. So much more uptake in the market now. Even though everything I see on TV seems like so down, but when I look at my own business, I feel it's far more uptake. Yeah. I don't know how I, these two worlds are not matching. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Um, how many customers do you have currently? We have between 10 and 20 customers. Okay. Right Good. No. And, you know, you're still a young company. <laughs> Very young, to your, to your point. No, we have some, but at the same time, we have some uh, Fortune 100 customers who are doing very, very serious okay. stuff on our platform. And like customers like BSF, Novartis, they are on our platform. Awesome. Um, they're doing amazing stuff on our platform. And we have some other really amazing uh, mid-sized company, which is, I believe they they are a company which I look up to, to solve cancer problems someday. They are doing amazing stuff on our platform and their internal teams are very, very happy uh, to use this platform. And they, they are asking, why can't other tools be as good as Oro? So that makes you so happy to hear that, right. obviously, as a, as a founder. Of course. So, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your leadership style, Sadir. Um, you know, as I as we talked about earlier, you had three prior startups that you founded. If you look back on those years up to now, what would you say are the things where you just, from a leadership standpoint, you just made mistakes and what did you learn and what have you changed? Yeah, very good question. Uh, especially the biologic one, the one that, didn't work out because of I probably learned a lot from that actually uh, I think timing does matter a lot uh, milestones does do matter a lot you need to define the milestones that you want to achieve because um, that's what drives your funding decisions and milestone cannot simply be I have to get customers uh, as as many customers as possible on my own forming a team can be a very very important milestone as an example because at early stage, actually, investors invest in team more than like that. Exactly. What does it make? Whether I, you I say that all the time, they better be looking at who the team is. Yeah, yeah. W- one customer or five customers is not that much different, uh-huh. actually. Yeah, but having a strong team. Hey, suddenly I have a sales team which I know how they're going to sell. Some somebody they they believe there's a great uh, a great software team. You get great art, a development team. You starting to form your marketing team. You have an operations team. You have some resemblance of a really good team and then because the truth is how many times have we heard the on that company made a pivot how how often do we hear this pivot frequently. is frequently but team is the most important ingredient that i learned that hey i need to we need to build a strong team as early as possible because we can make a pivot we could be wrong at any point in time so if we are a strong team and that will that would that would be the biggest lesson I learned. I can't just rely too much on myself. That's kind of my approach. There are other founders who do things differently, but my learning was team. I need to build a team. Can't be just about myself. Yeah, well, that's super important. Do you have an ideal client, or is that you know just at, you'll call on anybody in an enterprise that's doing you know X Y Z? No, no, no. We have ICP. You have to define your ICP. Mm-hmm. Early days, early days, you have to experiment with it. Now our ICP is pretty locked. We even know the keywords to look for in their LinkedIn profile okay. that tells us, is this the right person or not? Right. Because we just don't go look for, oh, this person is in procurement, so yep. it must be the right ICP right. for us. No, right. that's not enough. 
that's not enough. There are lots of people in procurement. They doesn't make all of them your ICP. Mm-hmm. We look for, like, because we are a company where we are pushing the uh, envelope a little bit in terms of what procurement should be. Mm-hmm. We also look for people who can accept transformation, who say, you know what, I'm in procurement, but I want to help my companies transform how my company, right. uh, how my employees do business and by virtue of which I can deliver more value. We are also looking for those early customers who are bold, who have specific keywords in their LinkedIn yep. without going. So, so ICP has to be very clearly defined. No, we don't go looking for, and so our ICP is obviously based on procurement, mm-hmm. but not just procurement. We also look for specific words, people who are looking to t- looking for transformation and and who are who have done some transformation mm-hmm. in their life. And now they are, they, they are a digital, uh, like Gen 2 of transformation. They're trying to achieve Gen 2 of transformation. That's our ICP. Interesting. Very interesting. You have now about 80 employees. Um, yep. When we first talked, you were at about 60, and that was three and a half months ago. So that's a lot of growth in just three months. Tell me a little bit about your talent strategy, where you've seen challenges, and of those, and it may be too early to tell this, you know, last 20 employees that you've hired in the last three and a half months, you know, if you have a sense of how well they're going to work out (laughs) or what your attrition rate or your turnover may be. I mean, Thankfully, our attrition rate is very, very low. Good. And and that is also, we try our best. Honestly, you asked me the question, which I didn't fully answer my management style as well. Mm-hmm. I really fundamentally believe everybody is looking for a mentor and nobody is looking for a manager. So mm-hmm. we go by that. How can we help people? Mm-hmm. And help doesn't have to always come from somebody who's senior. I learn from a lot of people who are junior than me as well. Right. You have to have that learning mindset and you have mm-hmm. to cultivate that throughout the company that you are open to learning from somebody and mm-hmm. acknowledging that they, hey, anybody can be right and you can always be wrong. And we cultivate that as much as we can, not pretend that because I spent 10 years in procurement or 12 years in procurement, that means I must be right. No, I could be wrong too. Mm-hmm. I could be completely wrong. Mm-hmm. So that fundamental principle that we go by, which is like, hey, everybody needs a mentor, nobody needs a manager, and you need to be open and transparent and sometimes be vulnerable. I op- I definitely expose my vulnerability to anybody who's, yep. we are all human beings. We all have vulnerabilities. To pretend mm-hmm. that I'm a CEO of a company because of which I have no vulnerabilities, that's, I don't believe in that model at all. Uh, I expose yeah. my, again, different different mindset people have. Mm-hmm. That's my stylist, at least. You know, I listen, I totally agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm doing some work with somebody right now who is, I don't know, if, if I don't think he's a Gen, he might be a Gen Z. Um, you know, he's in his 20s. Maybe in his early 30s, it's, I forget. But he's, um, you know, got exponentially less experience than I do, right, in his business than I do in my business. They're, they're different businesses. Um, but he's so smart, right? I mean, he comes up with amazing ideas and suggestions. And, you know, whenever we get on the phone, it's, the conversations are just great, right? We can kind of go back and forth. And, you know, I'll suggest something and he'll say, oh, you know what, then based on that, I think this might be a really great idea. And, and I, I completely agree. You've got to be open to the possibility that somebody who doesn't have the experience that you have um, is going to have other ideas, right? And of course, that, that brings me to, to uh, wanting to talk a little bit about diversity within, you know, within a company, right? So, so you know, as I said, you've got about 80 employees. Um, other than your co-founder, you don't have a single woman on your executive team. <laughs> um, or, your bo- or your board of directors, I might add. <laughs> 
So I'm, I'm kind of curious about how you look at diversity, um, what it means to you and what you're doing about that within your organization. Yeah, firstly, I acknowledge what you said. Yeah. I, I obviously, you can't run away from what you see mm-hmm. and what's the reality. So firstly, I, to me, Diversity means diversity of ideas. I agree. Exactly. I say it all the time. It's not about checking a box at all. No, yeah. no, no. We don't believe. I don't need to check in Diverse, the box. You need diversity think, of ideas. That's important. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that is the main reason to focus on it. I agree. And it's not going to magically happen. I agree. It's not going to magically happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to invest in it to say, hey, mm-hmm. I really genuinely want diverse ideas. Mm-hmm. And think about it now, what you said, right? Now, if I am a person, super really talented person, happen, uh, and happens to be a woman, could be a man, doesn't really matter, happens to be a woman, and they see our diversity, are they going to be we have to convince, we have to work really, really hard to convince them, hey, we will be diverse. We want to be diverse and we cultivate this culture. And once someone like that joins, she can bring other people or it could be some other, it could be diversity, I'm just picking gender. It could be something else, diversity of something else too, right. diversity based on uh, even religion, to be honest. Why not? You should have different thoughts. doesn't really matter. Uh, diversity, should you should accommodate all kinds of uh, things. Uh, so that's what it means to us. And what are we doing about it? Uh, firstly, uh, as I said, we will very we are soon we'll announce soon i cannot announce on the show today but we're going to add a executive member who is going to be uh, who will add some diversity and it's not a checkbox it's not a checkbox she brings incredible amount of talent with her okay. which i'm super excited about very very talented woman as talented as i could uh, could have found possibly so and then we are about to add few more people who are bringing very diverse idea when i interviewed them first i said holy this is very different than i think so yeah so we are trying to solve and hopefully if we uh, showcase in six months i really hope to have a lot more people in our company by the way besides founder we do have a lot of women to just to be clear in the company mm-hmm. they just don't show up on our website right now but oh, we right. do have a lot of women and 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 women of every caste religion color, everything you Mm -hmm. can think of. Yeah, which is great. So tell me a little bit about your talent strategy and what, you know, how you are, you know, your approach to it, how you're finding people, um, that type of thing. We've been really lucky, Carol, to tell you the truth. It's (laughs) finally we had to hire a recruiter. We just hired a recruiter for some specific talent search we are doing right now. Okay. Until then, it has all been through referrals. Well, that, and that's not, that's not out of the ordinary for, for a young company, right? But yeah. but eventually that wears out. Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. we've gone to 80 people through referrals. Mm-hmm. Even that was, I thought, pretty amazing in itself that we were able to get to 80. So overall, our talent strategy first is we want to stay flexible uh, because we think flexibility is really, really critical. So we have our own core principles. We always look for, does this pe- does this person fit in our core principles, which is we will trust you. We do, We will give you everything you need. We trust everybody we hire. We don't want to be monitoring you, micromanaging you, all that stuff. We don't believe in that kind of culture where we are micromanaging people. We just want people who believe in themselves, who want to do things. And because people ask me the question, I'll I'll put the effort, the amount you pay me. There's somebody asked me that question once upon a time. Should I? Why should I put more effort than I'm getting paid? I said, the truth is, the discussion on pay is a separate topic. We should fight for it and everybody should, read, everybody should get what they deserve. And you should always fight for it. I don't ever disagree with that. But once you're working, if you try to not do your best, basically what you're, tra- what you're saying to me is you don't want to achieve your potential. You don't, you're going to try your best not to achieve your potential. So these two things somehow have to be untangled to a degree. Now, I, I agree people get all tangled up. But to answer your question, we look for people who are not just talented. That was another, you asked me a question, another learning I had. 
one of the learning i had is talent is not enough that's right fit fit does matter a lot mm-hmm. as it turns out a slightly less talented person can do more for you as a team because it really helps the team overall so we have learned that lesson and i was like very blindsided if you can write code you can write code i don't care whether you dislike me or mm-hmm. whatever but what i what i found out in this journey as well is hmm i really really need to pay close attention to mm-hmm. our values our culture right. so so culture is important so our, our strategy really is we want to stay flexible uh, we don't want like we hire a lot of we have a lot of people in india too and traffic can be pretty even in i live in bay area traffic can be pretty challenging so do we really want four people to come every day to work mm-hmm. we don't believe that's necessary mm-hmm. we have built a culture where we right. meet people in person right. but we can we, we think we can do and the growth part of it will will stay and we are also i was also pretty inspired by zappos model if you have read the zappos uh, <laughs> model and now it it it's an incredible model yeah. it's it's inspirational i must say that okay, it's a very it inspirational model so we we steal some ideas from other people i'm a good i'm good at learning other people's ideas why not i you other people have done a lot of experimentation yeah. might as well use them right. so those are the techniques we use to uh drive our growth that's really funny that you you everything you just said i literally just before we got on this interview was having this exact conversation with someone which is really pretty funny and and we talk i talked specifically about zappos um but and and i say this every opportunity i do i get i've written articles about this and i i frequently talk about it because i'm on a number of podcast interviews myself um that something like i can't i don't know what the exact number is but it's north of 50% of employees turnover in the first 18 months for reasons having nothing to do with their skills and abilities so what does that leave you with cultural fit right so and i just said this you know you need culture you also need skills and abilities but cuz we were talking about how do you go about finding people you know we we guess there's nobody from our competitor we don't have any competitors so where do we go find people right so there's got to be people that where you can get the cultural fit they have the same types of skills from the kind of people they're calling into um their their sales model whatever that might be and you can teach them the other things that they don't know but you need to have those things first yeah how do you change that right exactly yeah. so that's really great it's just so funny that i literally just had this conversation with somebody but to be honest though i you know the ceo of this being ceo only for two and a half years now mm-hmm. but i i did run a very big team at ariba too right. my team size I'm was sure around almost 2000 people so so i mm-hmm. i wouldn't say i'm used to running a big teams i'm actually more used to working independently mm-hmm. actually but now i had to grow in this role where i had right. to really really grow so first time i took role when i was running the big team i really thought i'm an independent contributor still i continue to behave like a independent independent and i think that helped me in a way because i was a little blind to certain things mm-hmm. but it also uh, kind of was a very big negative that i'm not able to understand other person at all i'm able to just have a very monotone point of view very single point of view <laughs> to to understand that was really so so for me that learning has been very interesting and uh, patience is the word i've learned mm-hmm. is super important you have to be patient and everybody does things at their own pace of course you want to grow fast etc mm-hmm. etc et as a startup but at the same time not everybody is the same exactly people some people do things very very fast That's some right. people are very methodical mm-hmm. about it but they do it very thoroughly so you have to give other everybody their own room to do things so that's when your patience gets tested a little bit and you really 
it really makes you a better human being more than anything else i feel i really had to focus a lot and uh, learning myself i'm still growing to be honest i'm not there yet i feel i i, I don't feel i'm there yet but i have long ways to go but i'm conscious of it let's say that well listen that that's the most important thing you know pa- first of all patience is a virtue right and and as as leaders regardless of our age we can't you know i can't with you know looking at the 31 almost 31 years that i have behind me you know, I look at, you know, I don't know everything, you know, hence my comment about this person I was talking with earlier today. Um, years, decades less of experience than I have, um, but great ideas and creative and so on and so forth, right? So I think that, you know, we, we, we as leaders must always be open to the possibility of, you know, as I always say, the blind spot, you don't know what you don't know, right? And, and what's going to come out of, Somebody saying something, you're like, oh, God, I never looked at it that way. Thanks. And this is how we continue to learn and grow. Right. But tell me, though, Carol, though, having two co-founders with me, with mm-hmm. Lalita and Yuan, while we have, I've known both of them for a very long time, we are not the same people either. Yeah. So them com- they complement me really, really well. Mm-hmm. I compliment them, hopefully, mm-hmm. as well. That's why we form a really, really strong exactly. team. And then, and then that combination is very unique. Lalita is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Yuan is uh, absolutely amazing. Now we added Matt to our executive team as yeah. well. He brings a very different dimension. Mm-hmm. So I, f- I really, really trust them and try to behave like a team as yeah. much as we can, not uh, I'm the CEO, because that's, yes. that's Got it. title is irrelevant. So Sudhir, what's your day-to-day look like uh, as a leader? What do you spend your time doing? As uh, <laughs> I'm a CEO of a startup, so my day is a little long right now. Let's say that, mm-hmm. but my day involves working with customers. Yeah, because I'm still heavily, heavily involved in customers. Of course, because making your existing customer successful is mm-hmm. the number one thing. Yes, we can have more customers, but making the existing customers massively mm-hmm. successful mm-hmm. is still goal number one. Finding more customers is important, but goal number one is I rather have ten customers who absolutely love me than hundred who kind of customer success. Me. Customer success is my number one goal. I yep. still continue to be super involved. So my, I would say every day, at least four hours of my day, five hours maybe goes into existing customers. Awesome. 100%. Maybe. And then every day I do a lot of internal stuff as well because I'm still a product guy. I also feel you have to not, just because I become a CEO doesn't mean I have to forget what benefits mm-hmm. company the most. How can I help the company the most? end of the day. My product skills are still important. I'm not writing code anymore, unfortunately, but Mm -hmm. my product skills are still important. So I spend almost two to three hours on the product as well still. Uh, uh, I still Mm -hmm. end up at least three hours a day on product. So I'm Mm -hmm. spending a bunch of time with customer success, a bunch of time on product, and then on sales as well. Uh, Sales is pretty important. And then one day I dedicate to completely internal management stuff where I try to dedicate Mm -hmm. good amount of time, five, six hours to get through all the other stuff that I have to get through. So that's kind of how my day and week will look like. Got it. That's terrific. How, How do you spend your time when you're not working? Tell me a little bit about the personal side of you. (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a very good cook, but I love to cook. Okay. <laughs> I must say, I say it because my, my co-founder, Lalita, she's such an amazing cook uh, that I, I better put a disclaimer before I say I love to cook. And then, then people say, oh, you must be a really good cook as well. No, I'm not a great cook. I'm okay. I'm not too bad, but I love to cook. Uh-huh. I love, I do love cooking. I try to cook almost every day, actually. And my weekends, I'm by, by Friday comes, I'm like pretty exhausted. Mm-hmm. So Friday evening, Saturday evenings are my, I used to go out for eating, drinking. So that part of my life is not as 
exciting to me anymore. Uh, for, for me, it's more exciting to sit at home with my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a nice big dog as well. He roams around. I take him for a walk. Yeah. And I'm a big sports addict, unfortunately. I'm not a, uh, I don't watch movies and uh, or I'm, I don't watch TV in general. But I do watch uh, sports though. Unfortunately, Warriors and Manchester United, those are my those are my other, that's my other passion. Of course, you watch, I, you watch, you watch football, you know, the, the world's, the world's largest, most popular sport. Not, yeah, not, not, I'm mean, referring to not American football. <laughs> though I do go to 49ers game since as a local team, I do go, yeah. but it's not my passion exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. But Warriors definitely is, right. uh, which is also a local team and Manchester United, which I've been watching since I was growing up in India. That's fantastic. So you've experienced a lot of growth. Uh, I, I would imagine you're going to continue to grow. So, you know, if somebody listening to this says, wow, this is a really interesting company, I'd, I'd love to investigate maybe working for them. What do you suggest they do? They said, we have a thing. We have a, we have a, on our website, you can go, you can ping me personally on LinkedIn as well. Okay. You can ping any of us personally, or you can just say jobs at oralabs.ai mm-hmm. and we'll get back to you. We get back to every single person almost. So just jobs at oralabs.ai, send an email to us, or you can send an email to me personally, mm-hmm. sudhir at oralabs.ai, uh, or just go to our LinkedIn page. Our LinkedIn page, we have a lot of jobs. We will we really, really appreciate if anybody who's interested and thinks we can be an interesting company. We really, really want to talk to you. Great. Is there anything, Sudhir, that I haven't asked, that I haven't covered, that you want to talk about before we sign off? No, it's a very interesting discussion. I think uh, uh, we started on talking about procurement, but clearly we ended up on a totally different topic, uh, mm-hmm. uh, management, which is also a very, very big passion of me. Clearly, it's yours as well, Carol, I yes. could tell. Uh, so while procurement, we can talk. We want to change procurement. We want to make procurement easy, as you said, Aroro. We have a mission in mind. We want to bring CRM to procurement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, this management style and making people's life better, people who work with us, we work with, is quite important. So I think we covered pretty well. So no, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, with that said, Sudhir Bajwani, uh, co-founder and CEO of Oro Labs, thanks so much for being with me today. This was a fun conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you, Carol. Thanks. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.